0: started. We'll turn to John chapter 14. If uh, we're all there, we're all equipped. We're on John chapter 14. We'll flip over there. John 14. Yes? No? Maybe so? Good. Thank you guys. Thank you musicians. Thank you sound guys. You know, thank you setup guys. A lot of stuff, you know, we are, we joke around. But in the Old Testament, you had uh, these tribes that would break down the tabernacle and set it up every time they had to travel and you know, we walk in and there's all these there's lights set up and sound is set up. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I and mean, some of you know about it between 9 and 10 a.m. A lot of scurrying around, a lot of carrying. And uh, I thank all those guys, those unknown soldiers. Uh, uh, anybody wants to join that ministry, you are more than welcome. Right? Many hands make light work. Uh, but uh, we are here around 9 o'clock just setting stuff up. So John chapter 14, down by verse 12 is where I want to read. Uh, John fourteen twelve. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So there in that upper room, as, as Jesus Christ is pretty much saying his goodbyes to his men, He challenges his disciples to do greater works than he did. Sounds like almost blasphemous for me to repeat that, but why would it be greater? Greater because his work was almost finished, and theirs was just beginning. There was going to be, he knew, about 2,000 years of work that was going to continue after he left. Greater because the disciples' work would multiply and replenish the earth. I mean, what Jesus did was just within a few miles of where he lived, but he knew that that gospel was going to go around the world backwards and forwards and that it was going to multiply and replenish the earth. And greater because Jesus Christ knew that he was only a foundation. He was a cornerstone, as he is called in the Bible. And people don't think much about the cornerstone because they don't see it. Right, you walked up today into this building, you probably don't know where the cornerstone is, and you probably didn't think about where the foundation is of the building, but everything stands on the foundation, though it doesn't get a lot of notoriety, it doesn't get a lot of attention, the world sees the house. The world sees the building that stands upon that foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, God says, I laid the foundation in Jesus Christ, right? Amen. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. He's the rock on which the disciples were going to build anything. He's the rock on which you build anything, by the way, as well. You build on anything else, it's sinking sand. But the disciples would do greater works because people were going to see and enjoy What they built on that foundation. It was going to be greater than the foundation. Bigger than the foundation. Have more notoriety than the foundation. Spread beyond what the foundation even was laid. And that's where we are today, right? We're here today built upon that foundation. Part of these greater works. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Believe it or not. I want to talk about verse 13. Because connected to the greater works is this great promise of prayer. He says, hey, hey, you're going to do greater works. You're going to do greater works. This is going to be amazing. I'm sure the disciples sat there and go, greater works than you? You raised the dead. You healed the blind. You opened the ears of the deaf. You preached the gospel to the poor. Greater works than these? And then Jesus says in verse 13, a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Right, hooking up words and phrases and clauses. He's connecting what he said in 12 to what he says in 13. He says that hey, you're going to do greater works. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I think there's a reason why that word end is between those two verses. Because it's like to me, the Lord is saying, hey, before you do anything great, or think to do anything great, or think you're going to do anything great, you better pray. You better ask. You better talk to me. And if disciples are going to fight the good fight, right? We talk about fighting the good fight, brother. Fight the good fight, sister. Well, you know what? You better be a prayer warrior first. I mean, that's where the fight starts, on your knees. Now, this is not a new definition, but what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of anyone, but a disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower of Jesus Christ. So, if Jesus Christ asks anything of his disciples, he leads the way first. Would you agree? If Jesus Christ said, take up your cross, he took it up first. If Jesus Christ says, be holy, he was holy first. If Jesus Christ says, forgive, it's because he forgave you first. Amen? We agree with that? Okay. Now, stay with that line of reasoning. If Jesus Christ wants us to be prayer warriors in our work, you ready? You see where it's going? He was a prayer warrior in his ministry first. He led the way. So what I'd like to talk to, today, or to you today about is Jesus Christ, the prayer warrior. Jesus Christ, the prayer warrior. Just some things about his life where he prayed as part of his ministry and what it could do for him and what it could do for you. So let's have a word of prayer and uh, jump in. Lord, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. I can't preach this message without your help. So help us to understand and encourage your people, Lord, to draw nigh through the preaching of your word and the opportunity we have to speak to you every moment. In Jesus' name, for his sake we ask it, Lord. Amen. Number one, go to Luke chapter three, please. Luke chapter three. We're not going to look at a lot of verses. We're going to jump around to some passages. I'm going to focus on the book of Luke because Luke is really the humanity of Christ. So let's think about Jesus as a man kind of like you, serving God, kind of like you. We could have looked at Matthew and Mark and John, but I'm going to be a lot in the book of Luke. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ started his ministry in prayer. Do you start everything with prayer? Yikes. I was like, boom, right off the gate. Right, That one got me off the gate. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, In verses 21 and 22, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ's earthly ministry began at the baptism of John. Now, I know he was a carpenter. I know he was a faithful son. He was a good brother and and, and all those things that he was. And, and, And we know a little bit, we see a glimpse of him at 12 years old. But there was no ministry that he was really performing. His course began, the Bible says, at his baptism when he was 30 years old. That's when he kind of stepped out on the scene. He was identified as the Messiah, and he began to preach and to work his miracles. I know people write books about Jesus healing a donkey when he was 11, and Jesus Christ you know, multiplying the Oreos when he was eight, and he ate the last one. I get all that stuff that we think he did. I don't know about that. They probably would double stuff because he gives us richly all things to enjoy. But you know what? I don't know about all that stuff. What I do know from the Bible, which is important at First Bible Church, is that his ministry begins as far as God is concerned and his public works are concerned when he's 30. And there's a reason for that. Because in the book of Numbers, chapter 4, verse 3, the Old Testament priests were consecrated at the age of 30 to begin their ministry. 30 was a a big start for them. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, Those priests were washed and anointed on the day of their consecration. So at 30 years old, somebody began their course as a priest. They got washed with water and anointed with oil to signify the Holy Spirit, empowering them to do this job that God had a course for them to do. Look at Luke chapter 3. Because I want to show you here that Jesus Christ, our high priest, begins his ministry at the age of 30 the same way. He's washed, and He's anointed. Luke 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased, and Jesus Himself began to be about 30 years of age. So there it is. He's beginning his ministry. He's coming up out of the water. There's the washing. And the Holy Ghost is anointing him. Acts chapter 10 says, at his baptism, he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power to go about doing good. So there it is. Jesus Christ stepping out on the public scene, beginning his work as a minister at the age of 30. But please notice in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, now, when all the people were baptized, that's the start of Jesus Christ's ministry. That's, that's jump, right? That's jump. It came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. You see that? Right at the start, Jesus Christ is praying. Before he preached a message, before he healed anybody, Jesus Christ prayed to get the whole thing started. He's found praying to get the whole thing started. And can I tell you, you see the application before I have to say it, unless you're blind, deaf, and dumb spiritually. But if you got a half an ounce of spirituality and you could see the application, that before you do anything for God, or before you attempt anything for God, or before you launch out in anything for God, do you start with prayer? And I don't mean prayer like this idol. See, sometimes we idolize prayer, we make it an idol. It's not the act, it's the person to whom you're praying. It's the reaching out, it's the leaning. It's not like, look at me, I spoke and God did it. That's blasphemous. That is as blasphemous, you might as well not pray. It's the fact that you're reaching out to someone bigger than yourself and acknowledging a need. That's where you gotta get started. That's where you gotta start. That's how your Savior started. And you say you're His disciple? right? A disciple is supposed to follow in his steps. (laughs) And how often do I, I'll preach to myself, know what I got to do, and I just got to, we got to do, and you just, you step out before you kneel down or bow the heart, even if it is just, even if it's a a Nehemiah prayer, like Lord, you know, even if it's got to be in your mind, (laughs) you know, sometimes you got to pray that way, like Nehemiah, but that act of reaching out to God. Hudson Taylor was a what we would say, a great missionary. He wrote The Spiritual Secret. I mean, mean, you read his book, it's like it's dripping with spirituality. It makes all of us feel like we don't even know who God is. You read The Spiritual Secret by Hudson Taylor, you're going to want to get saved again because you're going to feel like, I don't even know if I've ever had communion with God, like this guy is having communion with God. And he says something. He says, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. That's what we do a lot of, you know? We say, oh, God bless it. We handed out all these tracts. Oh, God bless it. We we read the Bible. I I said, no, no. He says, begin the day with the word of God in prayer and get, first of all, into harmony with him. We've got some musicians in the house. I am definitely not one. But hey, how can you play well if you're not in tune how can you make any melody that's pleasing to the hearer if you're not in tune? And God says, hey, prayer is a way for you to tune your instrument. So what you do is a blessing to me and a blessing to others. That's where you start. Because that's where the Savior started. Are you starting like that? Do you start today like that? Or did you, you know, you know, eh, eh, you know, he threw the phone across the room, jumped in the shower, you know, blah, 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 you know okay, you know. I don't depend upon the prayer room at 10 a.m. to get my heart ready for church. If you've got to wake up 15 minutes earlier, wake up 15 minutes earlier. If you've got to wake up 30 minutes earlier, wake up 30 minutes earlier. You know why you don't do it? Because it's not important enough to you. If it were important enough to you, you'd get up. If, if me preaching for an hour or 50 minutes, whatever I do here, if this is me, by the end of this, then maybe you'll be ready to go. But imagine if you came here with 10 or 15 minutes of good communion with God under your belt. You think the church service would be a little different if you started the day instead of the song leader having to like hit you like a block, block a, a block of something—I don't know—a block of ice. You know, just, I'm going to break through this eventually. And by the fourth song, you're feeling a little something. By the time I say, you say, I say "Amen" at the end of the message, then you're kind of like, "Yeah, okay, I feel like God is real and He loves me." But the, but if, well, what if you started there? <laughs> Imagine if you started there—you walked in, like prayed up, read up, had some fellowship with God. I'm not talking about three hours like Martin Luther who said, I have so much to do today, I need to spend three hours in prayer. I know we don't live there anymore, I got it. But you know what, something, what if you walked in here with something and started the day with something, say, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, look at these promises, of your word. Lord, oh man, this is great, Lord, thank you, Lord. Got up, brushed your teeth, did your thing, walked in the church house, ready to go, with your heart ready. I think the church service would be a little different. I think maybe what we do at the fairs will be a little different. I think everything will be very different in a good way if we came prepared and not waiting for, to be prepared. All right, don't, don't get mad at me. That's just, that's just the first point. Go to Luke chapter 5. Hey, I'm, I'm preaching this message more at me than I am at you. And I know pe- people say that a lot, but I mean that a lot. I mean that. I mean that. Starting with prayer, Jesus did. How about this one, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it's funny, and I found this experience, and I think I'm going to spend a few weeks on prayer because it's right here in the book of John where we are, but people always talk about prayer being such a big deal, but you don't hear a lot of messages about it. Have you found that experience? We like messages about the second coming, and about salvation, about the Trinity, and about all this other stuff and doctrinal things, but how about this thing that's supposed to be part of your life blood as a believer? So, I like to spend a little time on it, however, the Lord, many weeks the Lord wants us to do. Luke chapter 5, verse number 12. I want to say this, number two, that the Lord Jesus Christ refreshed his ministry in prayer. Are you? Are you refreshing yourself in prayer, strengthening yourself in prayer, recharging your battery in prayer? Jesus did. Look at this, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. What a scene. What a scene. What a mob. Right? It talks about Jesus walking through the press. So many people pressing upon him. Can I tell you this, folks? As a servant, and Jesus Christ came here to be a servant, right? Isaiah says, Behold my servant. Jesus Christ was always working for his Father. You know that? he had no furlough, he had no time off, he was 24-8, 365, he was always engaged, he was always about his father's business, he even told his mother and his foster father, wish ye not that I must be about my father's business, but he knew he was always supposed to be about his father's business, he was busy, he puts us, he would have put us all to shame, We read last week that in the book of John, they couldn't even write enough books to document all that Jesus Christ did that was good. You know what? He was busy, and as a man, he got tired. He didn't get tired of the work. He got tired in the work. How do I know that? Well, I read in the book of John chapter 4 that he grew so weary with his journey, he had to take a seat on Jacob's well. Have you ever pondered that? That the Alpha and the Omega had to just, I just, I got to, (laughs) had to just take a seat for a little while. You take that in. That's like right up there with Jesus' wept. Just ponder that for the rest of your life. That as a man who was working in service, I must needs go through Samaria. There's a soul I got to find. And he's on this trek and he's going through Samaria. And his legs are tired. He's famished. He hasn't eaten. And he's just, I just, I just got to sit down. I mean, that just to me blows my mind. I mean, this is God manifesting in the flesh, just saying, guys, just, just, I gotta, just gotta sit down for a little bit. He was busy. I read in Mark chapter four that he must've been so wiped out. He was able to fall asleep on a ship in a storm. I ain't falling asleep on a ship in a storm. I've been on a plane through a storm. And I watched the vomit bags go around and the airdrop and pop and people screaming. Guess what? I wasn't putting in my earbuds and putting on a face, an eye mask and saying, I'm just going to take a snooze. I was pretty awake in that moment as you feel that little drop and you can count it, one, one thousand, two, one thousand. You know, and they had to reroute us because the, the weather was so bad we couldn't land. We were supposed to land. They had to get rerouted to another airport. Guess what? In a storm, you're probably not snoozing, but Jesus Christ must have been so wiped out that he was able to lay down on a pillow on the back of a ship and take a nap during a storm but look at verse number 16 after all that busyness after all that hoopla after all that ministry after all that service you see what happens in verse 16 there's that word end again and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed you see that in always being about his father's business, Jesus Christ always took time to pray. You know why? It refreshed him. It reinvigorated him. It kind of gave him that sweet communion with his father so he had something to bring back to the people. I'm talking about him as a servant now. I'm not being blasphemous or irreverent, but Jesus Christ was a man as much as he was God. So think about him that way and how you follow in his footsteps that way. Because sometimes you're just you're empty and you're trying to keep going and if you don't have some plugging in time with your Savior, what are you going to give to the people, your family, your friends, the lost, all around you? You've got to refresh yourself. No matter how busy you think you are for God, don't ever get too busy to pray. Because time spent in prayer is never wasted. It's time invested. You know why? Because you'll be better for it. God won't be better. He'll be, he'll be happy, but He delights in it, but you'll be better for it. You'll be refreshed for it. You'll be recharged for it. I was reading something. A guy said it cracked me up, and it speaks a great truth. He said, every one of us needs half an hour a day to pray. And, you know, most of you are like me. Okay. uh, But you tell he's not being literal because he goes on to say, except when we're busy, then we need an hour. You follow the principle there? Everybody needs half an hour of prayer a day, except when you're busy, then you need an hour. The point is, the more demand that's put on you, the more you need to contact God, right? The more responsibility you have, the more arduous the day might seem. Like I said before, like Martin Luther who said, hey, I got so much to do today, I think I'll need to spend three hours in prayer. Again, I don't live there like you don't live there, but... There's a principle there that the more demand, the more load, it's like exercise, right? If you're going to be playing, I tell my daughter this all the time, if you're going to be playing basketball all day long, you got to do some work to kind of get those knees and those joints and that body ready to bear that load. The more load you're going to put on that joint, the more you got to do to kind of get to make sure that joint is ready for the load. And the more load God has put on you in your life and your family and your ministry, and by the way, it's all ministry, just because i 'm standing up here like a, with the monkey suit on that doesn't mean i 'm more of a minister than you okay you 're as much a minister if you kiss your wife today or you take care of your kids today or be a friend to your neighbor today that's all it's all ministry and it's, whatever your ministry is, we all got a different ministry right whatever load God puts on that ministry, the more load he puts on, the more you need to repair yourself in prayer and refresh yourself in prayer it's been said that in every church and ours is no exception. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's a sad reality, but it's true. And what happens is, too many times that small minority is running on spiritual fumes because they're doing so much. And they're running on spiritual fumes. And just like your car, it's not good for your car to run on fumes. Because when you run on fumes, it brings up the junk in the tank and it clogs your lines and it messes up your car. And as a Christian, if you're always running on empty, if you're always running on fumes, you are going to crash and burn. The junk is going to come up and clog the line and you're not going to move and work and and operate like you were designed to. Look at Mark chapter 6. I did say a lot of Luke, but I do want to look at this verse in Mark. Mark chapter six, verse thirty. Making sense so far? Not, not this is not a not a deep message. Not a, I'm not expounding some mystery about you know the, the four beasts um, that was Thursday night. Uh, but anyway, Mark six verse thirty. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. We feel like that sometimes, right? Jesus, Jesus, look what I did for you. And that's not bad. It's like a kid showing his daddy what he colored at school. Right? Look what I did. I, I handed out these tracts, and I got over this hump, and I preached on the street, or I, I spoke to my coworker. I, you know, I, did, you know I, went to, I went to this service. I tried prayer. You know, like, look what I did. Look. Look what I did. Look how you use me, God. Look. Look at all the busyness. Look, it's, it's good to feel busy for God. I like that feeling. I don't like being sitting on a shelf. All right? When I say pray, I don't mean being like a monk, that just goes off in the woods somewhere and just, you know, like I say, drinks butterfly sweat. And, you know, just, you know, you know. Somebody's got to still pick up those Gospels of John and put them on people's houses. Somebody's got to still carry the equipment in and set it up. The stuff has to still get done. I'm not saying just be like, you know. In some kind of weird state where you just let everybody else do the work. I'm not saying that. It's good to be busy for God. God said to work. God said to work things out. God said to do. God said you were created unto good works. And it's exciting to come to God and say, hey God, look what we're doing. Look at all the stuff you're letting us do. Look, look what we're teaching. We're doing classes. People getting baptized. You know, people getting saved. We got these fans. Hey God, look at all this stuff. Youth group, this, blah, 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 blah. And look what God says in the next verse. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying, hey, disciples, if you don't ever come apart, you will come apart. If you don't ever come apart, you're going to come apart. I mean, even God rested on the seventh day from all his work. (laughs) Even God did. You know what science is doing? Science is catching up with the Bible now. You know what? The, one of the big moves now in science they're talking a lot about is the science of rest. Not even sleep, but rest. Non-deep sleep rest. That you just take these moments in the day to just breathe and like rest and relax. And all that's almost as important as going to sleep at night is what people are starting to say. The science of rest. You know what? There's some truth in that sometimes we need to just rest and prayer is a place where you can just pause and and rest and unload some things on God and cast some things at his feet and commit some things unto the Lord and cast some burden unto him you know it doesn't mean you're going to sleep doesn't mean you're not cognizant of what's going on around you or the needs that you have to fulfill but you're just taking some time to say Lord I need some help here Lord, I need some strength here. Lord, can you take care and look in on this? You know, we got this portable battery, this little portable generator that we've been using for years now, right? Uh, Mike Colleen helped us pick it out. He's the, when everything's electrical, I just go to Colleen. That's about it. That's my, that's my motto. Maybe we'll put on a business card. All right, but anyway, um, we got this generator thing and we use it at the park. We use it at fairs sometimes. But we can't just keep using it without recharging it. Every once in a while, they tell, us, they tell me every three months, I need to plug it in and let it recharge again or else it'll ruin the cells in the battery and it won't work like it's supposed to. It won't be able to maintain that longevity like it's supposed to. Brethren, you can't keep working without ever withdrawing and refreshing yourself by prayer because prayer is how you plug in. Not the only way, but it's one of the ways that you plug in to God and get some strength and get some power. Why? So then you can work the way you're supposed to work. So you get some longevity out of your life that God wants to get out of you. So you don't crash and burn. That's number two. Now go to Luke chapter 6 again. Let's look at number three. I'm doing alright. I'm doing alright. doing alright. Luke chapter 6. I'm trying to encourage you today because this is something we can all do. Is something everybody, if you're saved, you have the access to do this anytime. Right now, sitting in your seat, you can cast your burden upon the Lord. Luke chapter 6, verse number 12. I want to say number three. Well, again, we're talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ, the prayer warrior. The Lord Jesus Christ communed in his ministry by prayer. Are you? See, you often think of prayer as a giant soda machine and we just put our our request in our nickel in b1 and we get that twix bar whatever we want hey that was great god i'll see you i'll see you tomorrow right that's not really what prayer is about that's a very low estimation of praying that's a very childish juvenile estimation of praying praying is communion fellowship In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he, meaning Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now there's a beautiful doctrinal picture there which maybe we'll get to next week. But let's just take it on a practical sense. Jesus Christ, it says it in my Bible, went up into a mountain and prayed all night. That's wild. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ was not just giving God a list of all his prayer requests. That gets old really quick. You know, imagine coming home to your wife or coming home to your dad and saying, hi, I need new sneakers, I'm hungry, the car's not working, I've got math homework, right? You feel me, brother? Right, that's, 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 not, that's, not, that's not a lot of communion. <laughs> this is broken, this is this. How do you feel as a dad when that happens? <laughs> The first thing that oh I need new sneakers oh I need, that's the first thing you do when you walk in I need new I'm just we got a basketball family so a lot of times it's shoes I'm sorry but you know I need new shoes I need new this we didn't now my kids don't do this they're wonderful they don't do there they are right they don't they're not sleeping they, they're wonderful right they never they don't they don't ever come home and do that stuff they don't but imagine if that happened to you. Walk in the door, they walk right in and say, hey, how you doing? How you doing, So, Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I need new clothes. Uh, the car's not working right. Uh, could you fix up the backyard? I want to have my friends over. You know, all this stuff is just rattling off at you. It's like, that gets old really quick for you and the one listening. All right? It gets really old for the one listening. It's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm Okay, Great. This was great. Okay, oh, all right, I guess you're gone. I guess you're done. See you later, okay, bye. And it's, it's old for you too. Who likes to talk to people like that but spoiled, selfish brats? But who really likes to talk to people like that? You might have a really long list. You say, man, I'm gonna pray real long today. No, you're not. It'll be over in five minutes. God save this person. Take care of that person. This one's sick. I got a math test. This person's ill. I got a pain here. You know, If, if that's all prayer is, it gets old for you and God really, really quick. When you start seeing your problems as opportunities that God put in your path to cause you to pray so you have a reason to commune, then your world will change. But if all it is is got to cross this off my list, God, answer, 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 then you're missing the point, brethren. You're missing the point. Now, he will answer, and he does want to answer, but it's not just the give and take, the yes and no, the quarter in the machine, the B1 and the Twix bar. That's not all that prayer is about. Prayer is communion with God, talking and listening with your Father. Jesus Christ spent all night not saying, "You know, Peter's got a hangnail, and Bartholomew he hasn't even picked them out yet." You know, I'm nervous. Uh, my brothers don't think I'm a, you know, not any of that stuff. He was communing with his Father. He was communicating. He was discussing. He was conferring with him. You see that? You understand where I'm getting at? Yeah. Uh, The Bible says, let your requests be made known unto God. Please don't stop pouring out the hangnails, the sick grandmothers, uh, the, the, the troubles at work. Lay those all at his feet, but don't stop there. Go all night, if need be, and confer with him about things. Discuss things with him. You know what Jesus Christ was doing as a servant there? He was checking in with headquarters to talk about the mission, get some instructions from his heavenly Father. Because you know why? He had just entered a war. And in war, it is absolutely essential that you communicate with headquarters. In fact, the little bit I know about warfare, the enemy will always do everything to disrupt your communication with headquarters. Side note why do you think he's messing with the Bibles? Because he's trying to disrupt the communication from headquarters. Change a word here, change a doctrine there, confuse a message here, twist something around here, have the Christians wonder what God really said instead of going out and fighting. That's not by accident. That's by satanic design. And I'm not being spooky about it. I'm just being logical. We're up against the most insidious, vile, subversive creature in the universe. And you think he's going to show up in the back door with a pitchfork and horns and scream, I swallow your soul. That's not how he rolls. He rolls in the shadows, he rolls in the darkness, he operates by subterfuge. He'll operate by, yay. Hath God said? That's how he rolls. He's always trying to disrupt communication with headquarters. He'll do it with your Bibles, and he'll do it with your prayer life. Myself included. If you would ask 100 Christians, what could you improve about your life? I bet you 99 of them would say, my prayer life. Why is that such a weak spot? Why is that such a target? Why does life get so busy? Why does the mind get so troubled? Why is it so hard to just shut off and spend some time? Why? You think that's not also by satanic design? Because that's where you can kind of check in with headquarters. How can a soldier possibly know what to do without communicating with HQ? That headquarters gives you the tactical moves. Go here, flank over there, move over here, pull back over there. Right, Headquarters is disseminating all those moves to you. Through the word and through you communicating to to God. That's the two way street. You know how I know Jesus Christ was conferring with his Father? Look at the next verse. And when it was day, meaning the night of prayer ended, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. I see that after that night, Jesus Christ selects his 12 apostles. That was a significant decision. That was a big move, wouldn't you say? These 12 that were going to be with him for three and a half years and help turn the world upside down. I wonder if Jesus Christ spent that night conferring with his father about who should have been an apostle. Oh, that Peter, he's got a big mouth. He must be Italian, I, but he'll be good. He'll be good, yes, yes. Uh, you know, uh, what about Matthew? Well, if he's willing to do that and to follow you, maybe you, how about him? Uh, Judas, yeah, we need to put Judas in the midst because... A lot of Christians are gonna to need to know how a devil could be in the midst of even my work. So I wanna put Judas in there. You know, I, I'm sure there was a, an amazing conversation that went on that night in that mountain between Jesus Christ and his father. And if Jesus Christ as a servant needed communion like that to that degree to serve his father, how are you ever gonna serve God without communicating with headquarters? You got decisions to make, right? Where to live jobs to take, uh, people to witness to, d- just things that you've got to get out of your life or try to get into your life. you got decisions to make, right? you got moves to execute as a soldier of the cross. You know what you need to do? Hey, you need to have some communication with headquarters. Right? There's got to be some communion there. That's the same root word, right? Commune, communication. How do I know that? They're spelled about the same, okay? That's a deep etym- et- etymology lesson for you, Okay. Communication, right? There's something to that. Number four, go to Luke chapter 22. I'm just exhorting you to pray because Jesus Christ did. How about Luke 22, verse 31? And it's about how prayer is a part of ministry. It's not the only thing. Don't make a false balance, don't make an idol out of it, but it's a big part. It's like symbiotic, right? It's like you can't parse it out. Go to church, praying, reading your Bible. Like it's like hard to parse these things out. It's kind of all one life. <laughs> you know? If I cut you up into little pieces, here's your nervous system, and you know, here's your digestive system, and you know, here's this system. If I just cut you up into all your systems, I could have all your systems laid out on a table somewhere, and you'd be dead. <laughs> They all have to work together for good, right? All those things have to work together. So prayer and the Bible and fellowship and evangelism. I mean, all these things, are just part of this life that we have now and this relationship that we have now with our Father. I just know that for my own life and probably yours, amen, brother, that prayer is usually gets shafted because it doesn't get a lot of fanfare because people don't watch you pray unless you boast about it like a proud doofus, right? You know, people don't watch you pray. The flesh hates it because you go alone by yourself and you basically do nothing. Hey, I can go hand out 500 tracts. Look what I did. Hey, I could read my Bible, 20 chapters today. Look what I did. Hey, I showed up in church. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But prayer is this quiet thing that only God sees. Your flesh hates it because your flesh is always looking to get some credit. You hand out 500 tracks. you can say, how'd it go today? Oh, good, good. Handed out 500 tracks. No. It's nothing, it's nothing. No. <laughs> or you show up in church today, God bless you, brother. God bless you, today. it's good to see you. I know, it's good to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> we can read your Bible, you know. Say, oh, I finished my Bible for the third time this year. That's right. Even Chronicles. You know, we say that, you know. Where are you in the Bible? Oh, I'm all over the Bible. I read everything everywhere all the time, you know? Right? The flesh, well, the flesh is just like, you know, it's like a little, like a little, I don't know, a little tapeworm or something trying to eat all your food out of your stomach. I don't know, like that. Like a, little, like a little parasite trying to steal God's glory every chance it can. Yeah. Yeah. The prayer really sticks the thumb in the flesh's eye. Lord, I'm helpless. I can't do anything but lay this at your feet. And nobody's around, and nobody's watching. We have prayer meetings, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about private prayer with your Heavenly Father. And number four, the Lord Jesus Christ helped others in his ministry by prayer. Do you? To minister, I know what a minister is as a noun. I don't really know what a minister is. I don't know what they look like. We have visions of them. If you Google image minister, you get some weird dressed people standing up in the pictures over there. But to minister as a verb means to serve. It means to heal. It means to take care of. It means to help. That's what to minister really is. You're all ministers if you're saved. And in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus Christ is speaking here. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There Jesus Christ is telling Peter that he's praying to help the disciples through a coming trial. Amen. And can I tell you verse 31? He says... Satan hath desired to have you. If you're going to serve the Lord like those disciples, the devil is going to try you. God is going to let him, because he can't do anything about the, without God's authority. God's going to let him sift you. You know what the sifting does? The sifting helps separate. Excuse me, the fine from the coarse in you. To see what you're made of. To get rid of the residue and the impurities that keep you from being all you could be. In biblical times, they take wheat or they take grain and it'll be sifted through like a sieve or a large strainer. And when they sifted it, they'd shake it violently. And when they shook it, as it was shaken, the dirt and the impurities that were clinging to the grain would separate from the good grain and the grain would fall through and you get all that gunk just gets stuck in the sifter or the sieve. That's kind of how it feels sometimes, right? Sometimes God just lets the devil in the world just shake you a little bit. And you say, God, what's going on? God says, don't worry, I'm praying for you. I'm just trying to get some of the junk out of you. I'm just trying to get the good stuff out of you. And as the Lord allows you, God's not dead, he knows what's going on, as the Lord allows you to go through testing, rest assured, Jesus Christ is praying for you in heaven. You know what role he's got right now? Right now, Jesus Christ is in the role, not of prophet, that's what he was on earth, not as king, that's what he will be. Right now, he's in the office of high priest. And up there at the Father's right hand, He is interceding for you even now. Right now, if we can get quiet enough, I don't know, maybe we get so still and just open up the cosmos there. And if we could just get a glimpse into the throne room, you know, what we'd hear right now, we'd hear Jesus Christ praying for you to help you stand in your evil day. Father, help them. They're going through a lot of physical pain. Father, give them courage. Father, his brother looks nigh unto death, Father. Give Mike some comfort. Give Mike some strength. Father, you know, take care of this one. This person's got these unspokens, Lord. We know what that is. I pray, Lord, you look in on that right now, right as I speak, Jesus Christ is interceding for you right now. They got some family stuff going on, Father. They need help. They got some, you know, sickness unto death, Lord. They need help. They got some troubled mind, Lord. Give them some strength. Strengthen their mind, Lord. They got some lost family members. They got some estranged children, Lord. Reunite them. Give them courage. Lord, right now, right this second, he's praying for you right now. Why? To help you. He knows you've got to go through the shaking, but he's helping you go through it. Satan wants to shake you out of your faith. Jesus wants to strengthen you in your faith. But that's the process we all go through. Now look at 31 again. Here's why we read the King James Bible. I want you to see in 31 and 32 that Jesus Christ is leading the way, setting the pace, being the example to Peter to help his brethren by prayer. It's like he's going to say here, hey, Peter, I'm praying for you, and when you get strong, you pray for your brethren. Watch it. See 31? He says, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat in Elizabethan English of the King James Bible, you is plural. You means everybody. So right there he's saying, hey, Peter, all of you disciples are about to go through a violent shaking up. But then he says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when Thou art converted, Strengthen thy brethren. Whenever you see those these and thous in the Bible, those pronouns with T, it's singular, meaning one. All the yous and the yees are plural, meaning all of you. All the T's are singular, meaning the individual person. So what is he saying here? He's saying, hey, Peter, all of you disciples are going through a problem, but you're kind of a leader, so I'm praying for you, Peter. And when you, Peter, get some strength from me, you turn around and you strengthen your brethren. And as he's saying, the same way I'm helping you, Peter, is the same way I want you to strengthen your brethren. How can we do that? We're all over the place. Some of us live hours away from each other. How do we... 2 Corinthians 11:1, why don't you flip over there? I know I'm breaking my promise to stay in Luke, but let's look at this one. Second Corinthians one eleven. Second Corinthians one eleven. <clears throat> Look what he says here. Now second Corinthians is a book about ministry. We studied it last spring. In our able minister class, which is about how to deal with people and minister to people, we studied 2 Corinthians. It's the manual for ministry in the Bible. And you see where it starts in verse 11. You know what a key component of ministering, helping, blessing other people is? He says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1.11, Ye, that means all of you, not just the pastor and the deacon, Ye also helping together by prayer for us. You see that? Prayer is how you all can help. You all can't preach a message. You all can't maybe stand on a street corner. You all can't maybe, maybe your pockets aren't lined with gold and you all can't, you know, buy us a church building. I get that, but you know what every believer can do that's saved sitting here has equal access to God through the Holy Spirit of God. But by one Spirit, we all have access unto the Father by Jesus Christ. Everybody here is a believer priest who could speak to God on the same playing field as if Hudson Taylor was standing right here. You've got the same access through the same blood and the same Saviour, and you could pray just as boldly. And you can help by prayer. That's some good ministry. I know you've all got your opinions about what should be done and what should be changed and how so-and-so should and how so-and-so shouldn't. I know you've all got your criticisms. You are wonderful at that. God bless you that he gave you the spirit of criticism because you have this introspection where you could see through all my faults and know exactly what I need to be and you know exactly, you've hit the nail on the head every time. Bless God for you, sister. Bless God for you, brother. I know you've all got that and you've all got your big ideas, what we should do as a church, what we should do as a people. You know what else I know you've got? You've all got your shortcomings. I wish we could, but I don't have the money. I wish we could, but we don't have the time. I know we've all got those shortcomings because we can't do what we'd like to do. But you know what we can all do? We can all pray. And if you really want to minister, open your mouth to God and pray for me. Don't open your mouth to your brother. Don't open your mouth to me. Open your mouth to God and pray for me because prayer helps its ministry you know might be a good idea get yourself a list of names and just once a day or once a week just just let the or as a name pops into your face in this room pops into your mind lord help them for, you don't need to know what's going on you don't need to know all the details says lord well i need to know the details because i want to pray specifically <laughs> you're a yenter stop joking you're a yenter you just want to know what's going on no lord Take care of them. This name popped up in my my mind. Lord, just look in on them. I don't need to know. You don't need to know. God knows. That's ministry, man. That's ministry. That's real service for God. And you know what? Nobody will get the glory but God. I prayed for you today, brother. Ah, you blew it. You lost it. You lost it. Lost it. Blew it. You just you and God, Lord. Looking on, looking on the Murphy family. Looking on this one. Looking on, you know, this guy over here. Watch out for Andrew and Nidia. They're boxing too much, Lord. You know, take care of them. <laughs> I'm joking around, right? Looking on, looking on, looking on Isabella. Looking on, you know, Ben's family. Looking on the Lisa family. Looking on the upcoming wedding, Lord. Take care of that, Lord. Be in that situation. That's all you got to do. Not secret, not special, not magical. Hey, Lord, some of these kids are going up to youth camp, Lord. Let it be a great time for God. Let somebody commit to God a little more got all these young people in school father you know man just as you walk and this thought comes in. oh man all these kids you're picking up your kid from school lord take care of all the kids in our church going to school today lord just just have mercy you don't think that would make us a better body you i don't you not i don't know what bible you're reading or what god you're talking to you see we want all the we want all the big stuff it's the little things it's the little things You know, if you work out at all, you know you don't just walk in with these big gains like I have just by accident. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. Or that my son has by accident. It's this grueling, unseen, 5 a.m. gym time. Nobody looking. And just that consistent small things results in big gains down the road. And it's just consistent prayer just eventually can melt the ice. And finally, Luke 22, please. Last thing here. Jesus Christ, the prayer warrior, leading the way. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Here's the last one. This is going to be the maybe the toughest. So what have I said so far? Jesus Christ started in prayer, refreshed himself in prayer, communed in prayer, uh, helped others in prayer, and here's the last one. The Lord Jesus Christ strengthened himself in his ministry by prayer. Are you? Luke 22, 39. And he came out and went, as he was wont or used to, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And he was at the place he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father... If thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him and being in agony in an agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground and when he rose up from prayer it was comes to his disciples he found them sleeping for sorrow can i say this to you servants of god Before you go to the cross, you have to go through Gethsemane. And before you can become a living sacrifice, you have to submit in the garden. D.L. Moody said, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. And can I tell you in 2241, the great plan of God, the great redemption of God, the great everything of God can be traced to a kneeling Savior. It all hung on that moment when he submitted to the will of his Father in prayer. Strengthening himself in prayer. 42, he says, if thou be willing, remove this cup. Because, hey, I hate to tell you, but if you're really going to follow Jesus Christ, there's a cross for you to bear. There's a cup you're going to have to drink that's bitter. Because Jesus Christ drank of that cup you might have to taste of some of those things as well. If Jesus Christ picked up a cross, you're going to have to maybe bear your cross. I don't like it any more than you do, but it's just the reality. And prayer is the place for you to wrestle with God, to find your nevertheless. Lord, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? What's going on? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Prayer is, but that's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to have this moment of just submission while you got out of the shower one day. It's going to be because you were wrestling with God, wrestling about a thing, talking about something like Paul. Right? Hey, hey, can you take this thorn away? Can you take this thorn away, my own God? Can you play? Can you? I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm a teacher in truth and verity. I'm trying. Can you take? I can't. See 10 feet in front of my face, God. Can you help me with this? I'm trying to write, God. Can you? My grace is sufficient for thee. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ. Paul didn't get that by preaching. Paul didn't get that by reading Peter's letters. Paul got that by wrestling with God. It's in that wrestling match that you finally submit, or you don't. But that's where it can happen like Jacob wrestling with the angel right I will not let thee go until thou bless me you wrestle with God you know what happens when you wrestle with God you never walk the same right Amen. Jacob never walked the same after he wrestled with Jesus Christ Everywhere he wrestled with the angel of the Lord he wrestled with Jesus Christ right there he wrestled with him all night that's a picture of praying he changed his walk it changed Jacob. Jacob was never the supplanter and the deceiver after that day. He put away his gods. He, got, he was a different man after that day. In verse 43, it says an angel shows up strengthening him. Now, we may not have an angel. We don't need one. We have the Holy Spirit of God. But you know what God does in those moments of prayer and wrestling? He strengthens you in that hour of need in response to your cry. Hey, he did it for Jesus. And we're his disciples. We're supposed to follow in his steps. So when we call out to him in our hour of need, you don't think he's going to strengthen us? You have not because you ask not. You know what Luther said? Luther said, none can believe how powerful prayer is and what it is able to affect, but those who have learned it by experience. We could preach a thousand messages on prayer, but it's not an academic subject. It's got to become experiential. You've got to experience it. You've got to do it. You've got to lay it down. You've got to drop it at his feet. You've got to come helpless with no guarantee of what's going to happen. Just humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in two time. That's the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Here it is, God. He, he, this is the wrestling match. God, are you going you, you to do it now, God? When are you going to bless me, God? When are you going to take care of this, God? You keep putting it down, you keep putting it down, you keep putting it down. It takes faith. And and Luther said, it is a great matter when an extreme need to take hold on prayer. You know when you're really going to see it? When you're at the end of your rope, and you're just at the end of yourself, and you're finally like, I surrender. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Luther says, that's where you'll really see it. If you're just hedging your bets and trying this Jesus thing to see if it helps, and you just came, you, you got to come to the end of yourself. Lord, I, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. That was Jacob's message to the angel. I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting go of the horns of this altar. I'm not going to stop praying until you answer this prayer, Lord. I'm going to continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, Lord. You promised me. You promised me. I'm laying hold of that, Lord. I'm not going to let you go. He says in those moments of extreme urgency, you will see the power of God in prayer. Any needs today, any needs in your heart, in your life, in your family? You don't have to answer out loud. I know there are. You know there are. What are you going to do about it? Lord, to whom shall we go? You're going to keep struggling with it. You're going to keep trying to do it in your own understanding and lean on your own understanding. And God said, don't lean on your own understanding. Or are you going to just finally cast it at his feet? And talk to him about it. This is going to sound blasphemous, but if you're frustrated by something in your life, you'd be better off taking a walk in the woods and having a good shouting match with God than not talking to him. Don't give God the silent treatment. Not good. Lord, I'm trying to serve you the best I can. You gave my, my kid got leukemia. Lord, I'm trying to do the best I can and my family's a shipwreck. Lord, I'm trying to do the best I can, and I don't know which way is up. What's going on here? Don't be irreverent, but be honest. David poured out his complaint. Pour it out. Are we going to pour it out to your brother? What am I going to do with it, but get vexed with you? What are you going to do with it, but just get agitated because of it? Pour it out to God. Lord, I do not like this. I don't like this. Got to help me, Lord, because I can't do this. Pour it out. Hey, if that, Jesus said, hey, if you're willing, if you can get rid of this cup. He asked, well, you can ask. You see verse 44, and being in an agony. Ever been there? He prayed more earnestly the more Jesus Christ's soul was troubled the more earnestly he prayed not less the more fervently the more consistently the more desperately the more urgently he prayed and the more trouble you face the more it should drive your face to that prayer altar the more things are going crazy, the more you should be crying out. The more things are troubled, the more you should be talking to them. The more, the more that Jesus did, so should you. There's Jesus Christ about to be made a curse. What do you think he was, what do you think he was sweating about? The nails weren't, were no sweat. The spear was no sweat. The mockers were no sweat. He despised the shame. He was about to become sin and be trans, and be made into the very thing that he abhorred. And lose fellowship with his father. You know what that did? That made him sweat drops of blood. That made his soul tremble. That put him in an agony. He didn't run away, shut the book off, and say, that's it, God, I'm done. He prayed more earnestly. He cried more vehemently. He reached out to him. The Bible talks about praying unto him with strong tears unto him that was able to save him from death. That's who he's talking to. That's how we should be. The more trouble you're facing, the more you should face God. And in 45, now watch this. And when he rose up from prayer, after a night in agony, prayer gives you the strength to rise up one more time. He is sweating drops of blood, but he pours that before his father. He leaves it there, and then going to get up and say, all right, let's do this. Brethren, we talk about rise up one more time. That's one way that's going to help you. When you're going through your Gethsemane, spend the time there, pour it out, get to your nevertheless. You know what God will give you the strength to do? Rise up one more time. Get up one more time. I got one last job for you to do, son. Rise up. The Son of God did, and you will too. That's why he did it first. You think if I put such faith in God, he'll drop me. But Jesus Christ went through it all first to assure you if he didn't drop me, it's proof that he's not gonna drop you. If he didn't disappoint me, I'm not gonna let him disappoint you. So pray on, dear one. Let's end in John 14 again. You wanna be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? You wanna follow in his steps? John 14, 14. Do you? Amen. Would you like to do the greater works Jesus Christ said his disciples would go on to do? I hope so. Well, then i got to ask myself, hey, Pat, are you a prayer warrior like your Savior? I want to do the great works. I want to have all this great stuff, but i gotta, I got to do what he did, not just the parts of what he did I like. I like to walk on water, but he was up in a mountain praying before he walked on that water came down from the mountain and walked on that water. You know what somebody said one time? Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. It kind of helps you do all those other things. So before you leave the upper room and attempt anything for God, make sure you talk to God about it. Because John 14, 14, he says, if she shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. It's not the prayer that works. It's the person who works through prayer. Jesus Christ is a prayer warrior. He wants to hear your prayers. Will you pray? Let's bow our heads.